Luke chapter 1 this morning. Gospel of Luke. And I just want to look at a few verses. Uh, I'm actually going to read more than what we're going to look at. Just to hopefully give you a little bit of context. I think I want to start around verse 28. We'll back up to 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, and I'll go ahead and read uh, through this passage for you. I'm going to go ahead and read out the New American Standard, uh, 2020. And um, it says, now in the sixth month, Sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. That's what it's referring to. I didn't want to back up any further, but it would have made probably a whole lot of sense to have done that. But now in the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Or you could actually, for the New King James, it says, Greetings, highly favored. Uh, which is a good translation of that as well. The Lord is with you. But, but she was very perplexed at this statement and was pondering what kind of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. But Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason also the Holy Child will be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth herself has conceived a son in, his, his, in her old age. And she who was called infertile is now call, uh, in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold the Lord's bondservant. Or as the New King James would say, Behold the Lord's handmaiden. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, Father, we, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for the miracle of Emmanuel, God with us, and, and demonstrated 
to us in such a way that we can apprehend by faith the virgin birth where Jesus became God and man. We thank you, Lord, for your coming and, and coming as, as a baby and coming with such humility and coming to pay the price on the cross for each of our sins and coming to reconcile each of us to yourself. And Lord, we look forward to your coming where you will come and judge the quick and the dead. And you will come and restore righteousness, justice, and you will take your proper place, ruling on David's throne. So Lord, we look forward to that as well. So we pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us to glean from the incredible example of Mary this morning. And that we could say to you, as she said to you, behold the Lord's bond servant. May it be done to us according to your word. And so bless your word, we pray, to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As I thought through this, and I, I think sometimes uh, Protestants or evangelicals want to stay away from Mary because of how she has been venerated in both Roman Catholic and in Eastern Orthodox churches. Um, they actually, the Eastern Orthodox Church originally, and uh, years ago, years ago, early church, uh, gave her the, the title, the, the uh, Mother of God, which is often misunderstood in modern circles because it's the title that's given to Mary uh, that causes you to have to think about what's really being said about her. Can God have a mother? That would mean that God's mother would be God, right? Because, again, you have to remember the Greeks, they thought in, uh, in Aristotelian categories. They referred to God as the first or prime mover, that there was nothing beyond who God is, that God was not uh, caused by any, uh, anything other than himself, and he is the first and only causation of everything that happens essentially and and so this this title the mother of god was not a recognition of mary being god's mother per se but we see right here in scripture did 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 she not carry jesus in her body yes then does that not make her jesus mother yes it does but the recognition that the Greek church understood then and understands now is the recognition of the incarnation. 
And to call Mary the mother of God is not so much in exalting Mary as it is a recognition of the incarnation of God with us, Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 9. And, and the importance of the incarnation, God in the flesh. That was a necessary, I want to say thing, but that, that's, it was a necessary act on God's part. There we go. All right. It was a necessary act on God's part for our redemption. Because God could have saved us any old way he wanted to, couldn't he? He really could have. He's God, right? God can do what God wants to do. And he does. But he chose to come in the flesh. He chose to take on humanity. He chose to come into this world in the very same way that you and I did. It was my birthday the other day. My wife asked me, she said, well, what time were you married? I said, I don't know. I don't really remember it that way. I was kind of half asleep, right? I was there, right? I don't remember. Didn't look at the clock, I guess. But, um, but we all came into this world the same way, didn't we? Jesus could have come into this world any way he wanted to. But does it not speak of his humility? The one who says, come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I'm lowly and meek of heart. For him to come and to humble himself in such a way to, to come into this world as a child, as an infant. And so for him to have that gesture of humility that I don't think we really totally understand the incarnation. I think one of these days when we're in heaven, we will. But, uh, but to fully understand it, to, to me, the more I think about the incarnation, it just blows my mind. But to be able to do that, he needed a human being. He needed a mother. And it was the Holy Spirit who overshadowed Mary. It was the Holy Spirit who planted in her egg the seed who, from God himself. And to me, this is very mysterious. This is very mysterious. Um, but again, now, I'm not into doing Hail Marys. I've got friends who pray to Mary. I asked them why. They've never given me a good explanation. Probably never will in my mind. Never done it before. Not going to start doing it today, all right? But I think it's also important to honor her and look at her heart as what was given to us in verse 38 of this chapter where she says, Behold the Lord's bondservant or handmaiden. Bondservant is probably, uh, probably the best translation. It would be kind of clunky, but the best translation would probably be here, Behold the Lord's female bondservant because it's in the feminine. May it be done to me according to your word. 
Now think about those words a second. Okay, she's from a little backwater town. Small little town where probably everybody was into everybody else's business. Because they didn't have a whole lot of television out there, right? And the internet connection out there was kind of shaky, right? From this little town, this little nothing town, insignificant town. And yet Gabriel shows up and says, you are a highly favored. This word highly favored translated out of, uh, 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 or defined from the, the Greek word uh, really refers to this idea of being a one who is a full recipient of God's grace. Are you a full recipient of God's grace? So that means, okay, so Gabriel could come and say to you, behold, you are highly favored of God because you are a recipient of God's grace. See, sometimes we put her a little bit too high up on the shelf. But what I love about Mary, again, I've read, I almost want to read verse 38 to you again. I love about her, her humility. Her posture of humility. Her, her, her willingness uh, to really give all of herself to God recognizing that she lives in this little town. She's not married. She is engaged. They're going to think she's a tramp. I'm, I cleaned it up for you. They're not going to think very good things of her. Her fiancé might want his ring back. I probably didn't give her a ring, but I'm putting it in the 21st century, right? In fact, Joseph did seek to put her away privately, didn't he? According to Torah, he could have had her stoned. Do you realize what's going on here? And where this young woman who was probably somewhere in her mid to late teens at the time. We don't know for sure. We don't know a whole lot about Mary. But nonetheless, she had to really be in a place where she was dependent upon God and his word. May it be according to your word, that is rhema in the Greek, your spoken word. She had to depend upon God's word for her life, which she did not read in the Hebrew Scriptures. Because if she ever read some of the passages in the book of Isaiah, particularly Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, she probably wouldn't have put it together that, that part of that prophecy was actually about her. And she needed that direct revelation. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm hypothesizing here a little bit because I don't know if she ever, before or even after this, this event, turned to the prophet of Isaiah and, and read the prophecy about the virgin will conceive and bear a son. 
but she was asked to stand against the cultural religious norm of the day that through her willingness to be the vessel by which God it comes and dwells with us through her willingness to be that vessel, she was going to have to bear the reproach. As Hebrews talked about Jesus bearing the reproach and suffering where? Outside of the camp. Which is an, it's an illustration uh, of going back to the time of Israel uh, uh, when they were wandering in the wilderness and, and were, were those who were cast out, they were outside of the camp is found in the Torah. And, and she's, she's told that she is a highly favored one, a recipient of God's grace. And that the Lord is with her. Verse, I'm, I'm taking these out of verse 28. And as I think about what Paul experienced this as well, this phrase, the Lord is with you, is not found in a lot of verses in the Bible, but it, 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 we see it in Jeremiah, it's found in Judges, there's another book in the Old Testament that I can't remember. Uh, Paul uses it a, a few times uh, when he's describing in Acts chapter 18, where it says, the Lord spoke to Paul in the, in the night vision and said, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you. Every time that phrase, for I am with you, is given in the Bible, I looked it up last night, every time that phrase is given, for I am with you, it is in response to the person's fear about what God has called them to do. Now, why wouldn't Mary be afraid? Joseph, he, he, she probably, I don't know how well she knew Joseph. Remember, marriage, marriages were kind of somewhat arranged. But she guessed and guessed it right that probably that, that Joseph was probably going to dump her. I imagine they were both, you ever seen the, the, it was a movie that came out, I don't know, 12 years ago or so, and um, how it, it, it depicted Mary and Joseph when they were in Nazareth and how relieved they were when they had to go to Bethlehem because they at least got out of town so that the whispering would stop, right? And then to be, then to have to get on a donkey when you're eight and a half months pregnant. Now, I've never been pregnant, never will be, okay? Uh, don't get it. But, but imagine that must have just been horrible for her. And then to give birth in a barn? to your first son, to a man who is helping you, who you've never been with sexually. Talk about uncomfortable. That's what it means to be a recipient of God's great grace, by the way. She's highly favored. The Lord was with her. And, and, it's also said that blessed are you among women, among women. What's interesting about that is that in, in Luke 11, we won't take the time to turn there this morning, but, but Jesus is, is, I don't remember what town he's walking through, but they were saying, blessed are, 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 are the, is the womb that carried you, and, you know, referring to Mary, blessed is the womb that carried you, get this, referring to Mary, blessed is the womb that carried you and the breast that nursed you, Remember that? 
So this idea of Mary, exalting Mary to a higher position than what the Lord intended started early, by the way. Jesus responded, and he said, more than that. See, he didn't argue that. He didn't argue that. But he responds in, in, in Luke 11, verse 20, he says, more than that. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Yes, Mary was blessed because she carried Jesus in her body, took care of him when he was little. But G Mary was more blessed, according to what Jesus says in Luke 11, because she heard the word of God and kept it. Behold, the Lord's bondservant, may it be done according to your word. She submitted to it. She allowed herself to be a vessel used by God to fulfill God's purposes in spite of the fact that it was going to be very costly to her. She's told in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. We're not really given, and, 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 the, and the Almighty will overshadow you. Or the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And we're not given a lot of details, and, and yet we know that, that, that the Holy Spirit did this work of implanting Jesus into her womb. But she's told that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, which is interesting to me because that, is the similar phrase that is used in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when they're told to wait in the upper room, essentially to wait upon the Spirit and that the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Incidentally, where was Mary in the upper room? She was there. She experienced the same type of experience, I believe, in when the Holy Spirit came upon her when she was a young woman, experienced it again when the Holy Spirit came upon all of them in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. Because Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says she was there. And that the Holy One who was born will be called the Son of God. It's interesting that that word born here in the Greek could also be translated fathered. The Holy One could be, would be, who is to be fathered will be called the Son of God. Obviously the Holy Spirit and the power of the Most High overshadowing her that did the act of the fathering. And, and so, there's this incredible submission to God's personal calling on her life. Which to me is just this incredible example. Because there is, there's a posture here that I don't see in a lot of the other people that are written about in the scripture. There's a posture, there's an attitude 
there is a presence of mind. There's a focus. There's a sense of commitment where, where she as the bondservant, as like I said, translated maidservant, uh, it's the Greek form, uh, female form of the Greek word doulos, which is douloi. So it's a female slave, a female bondservant. But it, it, uh, the bondservant, was, was, it, we see it used in Scripture, uh, uh, which is also could refer to someone, again, this is in the feminine, so it would be a woman who is claimed by God. A woman who is claimed by God. God says that one. We see that in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 18. We won't take the time to look at it. Um, but it's also a term that was used to describe someone about themselves when they were addressing someone of a higher rank or someone of higher authority or even a deity. Someone who has been claimed by God. So she is highly favored. The Lord is with her. She is blessed among women because she had a posture of humility, uh, a posture and, and an attitude of submission. And she said, behold, the Lord's bondservant may be done according to your word. May it be done according to your word. There's this concrete acceptance. Did she waver? Scripture doesn't say. So it's not even, I mean, it's not really an important, I, don't, I threw it out there because I know sometimes we think about these things. But what we see here in the statement is a concrete acceptance of God's word and in a, concrete acceptance of his will. His will that will require something of us. You know, can we, can we truly believe in God? Can we truly believe in Jesus? Can we truly believe in all that the Bible has said and, and, and stand on it concretely and not have, us, have, it, have it affect our lives? Can we truly believe these things and not have them cost us something? Mary, it cost her her reputation. It almost cost her her marriage before it ever got started. And as I, I thought about this too, uh, without taking the time to turn there, but when, when, after Jesus is born and Joseph and Mary go and they present Jesus to the temple and Anna is there, the prophetess, and Simeon who is there who, is, who, who had been promised that he would see the Messiah before he passed. And he prophesied about Mary how, how, how that her heart would be pierced. That in other words, because of that which God had called her to do, this highly favored woman, that her heart would be pierced, it would be broken, that her heart would be, would be sorrowful. This woman who God claims to be with, this woman who is blessed among women, Belief is more than just a 
mental or even an intellectual agreement toward. There has to be a sense that we are willing to do that which God has called us to do. Because the thing is, the thing is, Christianity is not like a football team where you have 11 players on the game and the rest of the players are on the sideline. Christianity is a, is a team, if you will, or like a game where everybody is in the game. Everybody is playing one way or another. Now, you're either gaining yardage and scoring touchdowns or you're getting penalty flags thrown at you or you're getting sacked, you know, by the, by the defense. But you're in the game. You're not on the sidelines. But it, it's, it's this, this calling to, to fully engage our hearts and our souls and our mind and with our whole strength into that which we believe open toward God's calling in our life to whatever it is that he may have for us, even in this, really, to be honest, in our latter years. And, and to be in, in a place that, that we have this posture that we are, we are waiting on the Lord and we are willing and, and able to respond when he says go. Or when he says, I want you to do this, or I want you to speak here, or I want you to, to speak up here or minister to this person in this certain way. And, and what you have here, and, and what I find fascinating too, um, the way God just set all of this up. Because obviously children come into this world by a woman giving birth to them. All right? Hasn't happened any other way yet. Never will. But women in the first century were not held in very high esteem. Essentially, they were, <laughs> they were really kind of considered property. And I think it was, I can't remember what rabbi, but from that era, they would pray that God, I thank you that I have not been not born a Gentile or a woman. I imagine the guy who came up with that one probably had some domestic issues from time to time. I'll leave it at that. But God uses... The foolish things of the world, the weak things of the world, to confound the wise. We've lost that. We've lost that as a church. We've lost the fact that God calls us to, to really abandon all of our strength all of our resources in total surrender to him, which is, is vitally important in, in, in not only the spiritual 
activities or the ministries that God has called us into, but it is vitally important for our own spiritual experience. Even in, in, in a lot of the, the spiritual formation crowd, that's the, they, they, sometimes they overemphasize this, this idea of doing spiritual disciplines, prayer and, and, and Bible reading and uh, church attendance and giving and service, the five of them there. And yes, we should be doing those things. But we can do those things in such a way that the prophet Isaiah said to us, Paul repeats it in the book of Romans, that they honor us, they, that, that God declares that they honor me with their lips. But, you know the rest, don't you? I say it a lot. The heart is far from me. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But the thing is, God has called us to be in a place when when we follow him, we abandon our human strength. From time to time, and it hasn't been so much lately, okay, but from time to time I hear some of you complain about the way things are. You got a right to your opinion. But I'm curious about that. You want to complain, complain. I mean, I'll listen for a while, for a while, okay. Do you pray more than you complain? You ever thought about that? Where's your priorities then? Are we really praying? Do we really believe that prayer works? This country is a mess. It's a mess. The world's a mess. There's no other place to go that's any better, right? Some of these people are, I'm going to move here, I'm going to move there, then go, all right? It's not any better there than it is here. If we truly believe that the church is of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, then are we praying for the world or we just do not care about them because they're going to hell anyway? You want to complain, complain, but... It's called a lament, by the way. A lot of times when we complain, it's called a lament. But lament to the one who can do some good about it. Amen? Seriously. Because when I, I tell you, I don't do it in front of any of you will, and I never will, but I will tell you a little bit about it. When I start complaining to God, I let him know. Because he has an ear for it. Read the Psalms. Did David complain? <laughs> he sure did. There are those times that I like to open up the Psalms and go outside and read them to God and say, I love those break your teeth Psalms. 
want to complain, complain to the one who can do something about it. Recognize your inability to do anything else about it. I used to have one person that they would complain, 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 and I told them one time to run for office. That didn't work either. I didn't think of this then. But pour these things out to God. Recognize your inability. And a total surrender to God. I've said it once, I'm going to say it again. Is vitally important in all that we are called to do, and it is vitally important in our spiritual experience because I didn't tie the thought together. This whole idea of spiritual disciplines, as important as they are, we can do them and not necessarily benefit from them, especially if we're going to trust in the spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study and all this for it to be, make the difference in us. It is God who brings the increase. The fact that, that we practice spiritual disciplines is a simply a matter of us showing up or as one person put it one time and I love this being that clay that is willing to get on the potter's wheel and to be molded and to be shaped and to say behold the Lord's bondservant may it be done to me according to your word no wonder she's highly favored no wonder the Lord is with her. See, it's important to remember, and I'm going to finish. I'm only about halfway through, but oh well. <laughs> I'm not going to keep you. It's important to remember that God is always, 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 always the initiator. We respond. If we are trying to initiate without something that God has previously planted in our heart, then it's really not coming from him. It's coming from us. God is the initiator. We respond. But in that, it does not mean that we are passive because God calls us into service. It does not mean that we in spite of not knowing all the answers, it doesn't mean that we don't stop seeking. Luke 11, 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Keep seeking. Keep looking. Keep pressing in. Keep, keep, keep being there. Keep, keep having a hungry heart. That theologian, uh, Bruce Springsteen, everybody's got a hungry heart, right? Well, okay, but anyway... Keep pressing into those things. Mary believed in the miracle. Mary believed in the miracle. She believed it would happen. And she understood that we live spiritualized in a different paradigm in a different worldview, in a different cultural setting than, than the lives that we think we live in this world. Because we are kingdom people. 
Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And as such, I, I could go on for an hour on that verse. I won't. But maybe you could later on this week give that some more thought. Give that some more meditation. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Mary had faith. Mary believed in the miracle. Mary said to God, may it be done according to your word. And may we follow this incredible example that Mary gave to each one of us and that we would have that same heart to say, May it be done according to your word. Amen. Father, we thank you.